are in a series we've called from A to Z. We're in the C's right now. We've gone through the A's and the B's, and we're in the C's. And the word today is conviction. If you look at verse 9 and then verse 6 of Daniel 5, you can write the word conviction in the margin of the Bible. It says in verse 6, the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. That's where we got that phrase, his knees knocked together. In verse 9, then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. Conviction. It's the power of conviction. I've seen it in church time and time again, the knuckles turning white as they grip the pew. People literally running out the church door in the middle of a service because of conviction. Fortunately, some have run forward to the altar in conviction. Happened in the offering time once. While the organist was playing for the offering, somebody bolted from their seat to the altar, weeping uncontrollably because of conviction. There is always reaction to conviction. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not good, but there is always reaction to conviction. I would like to read verse 9 from two other translations for you to get the impact. One is the Living Bible, which reads this way, The king grew more and more hysterical. His face reflected the terror he felt, and his officers, too, were shaken. The Revised Standard Version reads, Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. You remember the series that we call the Sherlock Holmes series. Those were written by a man by the name of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sir Arthur did something very unique at one point in his life when he desired to play a practical joke on his respected friends. What he did was to send a message to each of his friends which stated simply, flee at once, all is discovered. Within 48 hours, every one of his friends had left the country. Conviction. In psychology today, Harold Levine, an advertising executive, reported that parents today are buying more toys than they have ever bought in the history of the toy business, and Toys R Us are grateful, and others who handle toys. But what was interesting about what Mr. Levine wrote was why they are buying more toys than they have ever bought in the history of the toy business. 
It is because more parents are working than ever before, and they're working longer hours, and they are home less, spending less and less time with their children. And Mr. Levine said they're buying more toys because of working parent guilt. They're making it up to the kids by buying them more. It's conviction. It's conviction. And as we look at this story in Daniel 5, there are several lessons that we can learn as God deals with us, as He does, about things in our lives. He doesn't want any of us to perish. He doesn't want us to be disobedient sons and daughters. So His Holy Spirit is assigned to bring conviction to the human heart so that we can adjust our course, so that we can line up with His Word and we can be pleasing to the Father until He takes us home. Notice with me, number one, that the conviction occurred inside the king's palace. Now you know that palaces are guarded heavily. Men of stature and strength who have been trained to protect are at every entrance and even outside. Everywhere there are guards where the king's palace is, but not guards, not fences, not bars could keep out the divine messenger, the Holy Spirit. You may succeed for a time, but eventually the Holy Spirit wins. Remember that, please. You may succeed for a time in allowing Him to get too close, but there will come a day when He's going to win and you're going to either run out or you're going to run to the front. You're going to face God with the truth. Just be sure you know that. You will not succeed in avoiding conviction forever, no matter where you go and how well you are guarded. The Holy Spirit will win. Secondly, notice that it was a time for pleasure. It was not to be a time of heavenly visitation. It was to be a time of great merriment, such as Babylon had never experienced before. I don't know how they found this out, but I read in one account that there were 32,000 musicians in the king's orchestra that night for a thousand of his friends. And servants carried the choicest wines and foods of the kingdom to those guests of the king. In the most magnificent banquet hall the ancient world had ever known, was a night of pleasure, unprecedented in Babylon's history. Present enjoyment has a way of dulling our senses, doesn't it? And I see people all the time trying to get away from reality, trying to get away from the voice of God and the 
conviction of the Holy Spirit, we need to remember that the pleasures of sin are but for a season. They are pleasures, but they only last a brief time. They're seasonal. Sometimes in the midst of our pleasure, we are summoned to judgment. Such was the case with Belshazzar. Such is the case many times with people whom we read about in our paper who never intended to die when they died. They were involved in great pleasure, but it turned out to be the time of judgment. So it was with Belshazzar. Pleasures will never satisfy the inner longing of our soul. The things that we do in secret, God will deal with if we don't pay attention to the proddings of the Holy Spirit. We will face Him in judgment, and often it's out of our pleasure that that occurs. Notice also that it was during a time of negligence. Outside of the gates was an army. Outside of the gates of Babylon was Darius the Mede who wanted that kingdom. But Belshazzar didn't have time to deal with the business at hand and he neglected what was outside of his realm of pleasure and his realm of safety. Historians tell us that that night the king was reveling in effeminate orgies, forgiving what his position really was, that of a king of a domain, a domain needing protection. And if your eyes will slip down Toward the end of the chapter, verses 30 and 31, you will read these words, In that night Belshazzar was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom. That very night. That night when guards were posted, that night when pleasure was abundant, but that night when the king was negligent, in his responsibility, he was slain and Darius reigned in his place. You come to church and maybe here in church you're feeling somewhat protected. And nobody will really know the truth about your life because you're with other people who respect God. and You are in the church today, but... Hear me, my dear friend. God knows what's in your heart, and if it's not right, settle the account with Him today as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to your soul because you don't play with God. It is not wise to play with God. Notice, secondly, in this account that Belshazzar was dealt with in public not in private. That's interesting to me as I study the Bible because when we read 
in Revelation, we read of the judgment of God and that it is a public judgment written up on the wall where everyone could see was the message that God wanted that realm to know. You are weighed in the balance and are found wanting. Sin may be in private, but judgment will be public. Now you say, I don't believe that. Well, then maybe you should read what Jesus said in Luke 12, 1 through 3. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Ooh. Would be nice if that was not there, wouldn't it? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. What a preacher has to deal with many, many times in ministry is to get people to understand that what we do in private will be made known in public, and God is the one who will make it known. Notice as well in the story that it was silent. There were no trumpet blasts, just a hand writing on the wall. 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12 talks about the still small voice. God was not in the lightning. God was not in the earthquake, but in the still small voice. And while we're in a setting like this, that's exactly what it may be for you. Not a trumpet blast, just something inside saying, you ought to make that right. You ought to get that repented of. You ought to straighten that thing out in your life. Don't let it go another day. A silent working of the Spirit of God within. Not some person tapping you on the shoulder. The Holy Spirit dealing with your heart. Writing, as it were, on the wall. This is your day. This is your time. Written words are more decisive than spoken words. They're more enduring. You remember when Pilate was dealing with the Jews about what was written over the head of Jesus on the cross? It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, and they came before Pilate, and they said, please write, he said he was. And Pilate thundered back at them, what I have written, I have written. And those written words have passed down through the centuries to us. The Bible itself is a written word. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Written words become enduring words. You're weighed and found wanting. 
We deal in society today with this morality issue. And we have a shifting population that is getting more tolerant all the time with the morals of people in their family, at the workplace, in society in general. Why is it? It is because we have forgotten that Jesus Christ said heaven and earth will pass away, but this word will never pass away. It will be what we are judged by in eternity. And it doesn't matter what some organization says about pornography or about homosexuality or about abortion. It's what God says that makes it final. And we've got to get that back in our thinking again. In Revelation 21, it talks about a book wherein there are names written. And if your name is not written in the book of life, then your name will probably be written in the book of judgment in Revelation 20. People are cast out into darkness. But be assured your name is written somewhere. And the power of conviction God has made available so that we can have our name written in the right book. And all that will be done on that day when you stand there is they will open the book and they'll look under the last name. And if it's not there, it's in another book. And it's the book of judgment. I want my name in the book of life. What about you? I want it to be written there on the page, white and fair. In the book of the kingdom, I want my name written there. Notice also that in this account with Belshazzar, it was a very mysterious thing. Nobody in the realm could understand what was being written on the wall. And it's what Paul was trying to get us to understand in his epistles when he talked about the mysteries of God and the foolishness of preaching. The world cannot understand, it seems, what God has tried to reveal to us. It's like an unknown tongue to the world. And so they sought for someone who could read it, and they found Daniel. One of the captives from Jerusalem, and he said, Oh, king, it just means tonight you're weighed in the balance and art found wanting. That's what it means. And at that point, his knees began to knock and his hips lost their joints. What a mess he must have been as he stood there trembling in the presence of this man of God under conviction. You see, that's why God gave apostles and God gave prophets and God gives preachers. So they can stand and explain to us the revelation of God. So we won't have to go out into the night, ignorant and out of touch with a living Redeemer who wants to bless us and save us. So he 
builds churches like this one and he puts preachers in place and teachers in place so they can stand and say, this is what it means. Pay attention. This is what God is saying. Listen to him. And you have a choice then, whether you will or whether you won't. But Daniel knew exactly what was on that wall. And I know exactly what is written in this book by divine revelation. And Jesus Christ has the last word in all of our lives. And you'd better deal with him more importantly than dealing with somebody outside of the realm of the kingdom. It's mysterious. You only understand it by divine revelation. That's why conviction comes so that it might move us into the realm of understanding where we're open in our mind, we're open in our hearts to what the Spirit of God wants to say. When I was raising two boys, the mystery of revelation became very apparent to me when I would say something like this to them. If you don't get with this program that I've explained immediately, you're going to be dealt with. It was at that point when they would say, well, you hadn't explained it quite that clearly before. And I would pray today that the Holy Spirit would make known to us that there are consequences by putting off what the Spirit of God speaks to our hearts. Every sermon you hear has a responsibility connected to it on your part to do something with it. Not to just walk out and say, well, that was for somebody else, wasn't for me. We have a responsibility for the revelation that God is bringing to our hearts, to our understanding. Then it's no longer mysterious. It's very clear, and we have to act. We have to make a decision. Now, notice also that part of this story has to do with terror. Terror. The human weakness comes into the presence of the supernatural. Belshazzar, buried in sensuality, when confronted by God, was reduced to terror. He was in terror when God made his judgment known to him. Now, you don't have to wait for that, neighbor. It says in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, there will be a day when they say to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand a day of terror recorded in prophetic scripture? But you don't have to wait to that day. The Holy Spirit will bring his conviction now, lining you up, getting you in place. There is human neglect involved in this story. Daniel calls attention to the one sin that brought his doom. 
And it's important that you see what this sin is. In verse 23 of Daniel 5, it says, And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways. You have not glorified. There's his sin. You have not glorified God. Why are we created? To glorify God. That's the one thing we're all supposed to be doing. Glorifying God. When we look at the commandments out of Exodus 20, we find that those commandments are thou shalt and thou shalt not. They're very clear. And if we will keep them, we will glorify God. Idolatry is right at the top of the list. You shall not have any other gods before me. Idolatry is only possible when the worship of the true God is neglected. Think about it. Idolatry is only possible when the worship of the true God is neglected. Belshazzar neglected the worship of the true God. Daniel said, you have not glorified him. Are you? Come on, ask yourself right now, am I glorifying God with my life? Some of you don't tithe. You're not glorifying God with your money. You're glorifying yourself. You're heaping things on yourself. You can't glorify God when you break his word and don't trust him by faith to take care of your finances. We don't glorify God in America anymore on the Lord's Day. The vast majority of the population today is out doing their own thing, and some of you can't wait until I say amen so you can get out and do your thing. And I won't see you again until next Sunday or thereafter. It's like I'm preaching to moving targets anymore. We're involved in idolatry when we don't glorify God and give Him the time and the money and the effort that He demands. Profanity. The direct opposite of the reverence which glorifies God is profanity. Think about that. We've got people goddamning this, goddamning that, go to hell this, go to hell that, Jesus Christ this, Jesus Christ that. What is that? The exact opposite of glorifying God and giving God reverence. No reverence. And they don't even think about it. If you want to have a wonderful experience, just stop one of them in the middle and say, why did you say that? Say what? What did I say? They won't even know. Because they stopped glorifying God a long time ago, and God isn't even in their thinking. It just comes out as profanity. I don't know why we use God's name, but we do. Sinful pleasures, the only possible way you can explain sinful pleasures is that when you lose the pure pleasure of the divine, then there's nothing else but sinful pleasure when you're no longer getting your kicks out of worshiping Him and serving Him as we should, 
then there's only one alternative, and that's to get them out there with all these things that are fleeting and passing and expensive and damning to the soul. Think about that. Belshazzar was violating all of that. We have the word backsliding in our vocabulary. What is that? It's when God is dethroned from our heart when we put him outside of our lives, all kinds of sinful pleasures take the place of where he sat and where he was enthroned before. This was the situation with this man we're dealing with today. In terror, he was smitten by the conviction of God Almighty. And there's one last thing that I see in this story, and I call it in debt. It says in the 27th verse that you are found wanting. That means you're in debt. That's how it's translated. You are in debt. You are weighed in the balance, and you are in debt. To who? God. Every life has its limit. There is a limit to our opportunities. You are only going to get so many opportunities. I don't know how many. Only God knows, but you have a limit to your opportunities. Belshazzar had a limit. We cannot postpone important things to another time or to another day. We need to deal with them now, today. Abuse of opportunities will lead to the loss of opportunities. Psalm 37, verse 9 says that evildoers will be cut off. Matthew 25, 28, and 29 says, Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. The final word in that story by Jesus is this, unprofitable servant. He's an unprofitable servant. Only so many opportunities, and if we abuse them, even what we have will be taken away and given to another. God has a limit in every one of our lives. That's why he gives us conviction. Now, I'm happy to tell you that in our debt, the Lord says, I'll forgive you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Isn't that wonderful? I couldn't end up so negatively today and say that you're in debt and there's no way to get out of that. You're found wanting true, but Jesus Christ paid the bill. And though your sins be as glaring as scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow if you respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God forgives. And you know what else the Bible says? God forgets. Now, we have a hard time doing that with each other. I may forgive you, but I'll never forget. That's a common occurrence in life. But it says... In Hebrews 10, 17, their iniquities will I remember no more. Boy, 
God doesn't even remember that I sinned because I accepted his forgiveness. Their iniquities and their sins I will not even remember. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but it really makes me want to jump up and down if my legs didn't hurt so bad. God forgets my debt. He wipes it clean. And that's what Psalm 32 says, that he actually wipes it clean. And then in verse 11 of Psalm 32, he says, here's how you ought to respond. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. Because he wipes it clean. It's just like it never even occurred. Now, isn't that better than what Belshazzar dealt with? That's the opportunity he gives us today. Now, what's necessary to bring this all into focus? One thing and one thing alone, a decision, a choice. A decision is needed in all of our lives to respond to the conviction that you're feeling right now. To respond to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you, that you're not as good as you have tried to let people believe. That there are things in your life that need to be reconciled with God, that you haven't been as faithful as you have wanted the pastor to think or that you have never squared your account with God, you have never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin. You need to make a decision today to deal with it. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying to you, that's what you need to do. You need to make a decision. When George Custer graduated from West Point Academy, he served under General McClellan. And as he served with this great general, he along with the other soldiers were marched to the edge of a river one day where he and all of his officers stopped their horses. General McClellan said, wish, I wish I knew how deep this river was so I knew whether the troops could cross or not. The officers sat on their horses wondering what to do. George Custer spurred his horse and rode out into the middle of the river. And from the middle of the river, he shouted back, General, this is how deep it is. He made a decision. And that's what made him a great soldier. He was decisive. He made decisions. General George Custer showed that ability early in his career. What will determine our eternal state could well depend upon a decision in this meeting on this 26th day of July, 1992. This moment could be marked in eternity as a moment of decision for any number of you that are here today. What will be your decision? 
hear the voice of God. Hear the Word of God. Respond to the Spirit of God. You will never be so free as when you do that and let Him cut the cords and give you the victory that He bought for us so long ago. Make a good decision. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer throughout the sanctuary? As we hold our places in this service until dismissal has come, respecting one another's opportunity to meet with God, let's make a decision. Father in heaven, we thank you for one more opportunity to preach your word to deal with this word that you made so real to us as we prepared for this day, the word conviction. All of us have to have it or we would be like a loose cannon. All of us need that centralizing force of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we be honest now and may we respond to conviction. May we make a decision that will put us on course and will help us glorify our eternal God. As our heads are bowed in prayer, I want to ask how many of you this morning feel that conviction in your spirit. You know there are things that you need to deal with in your spiritual life. Some of you need to Surrender your life to Christ. Maybe the first time you've ever done it. Some of you have slipped away and you need to come back. I want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. There are three hands right over here to my left. Thank you. And there's another one right in that area. That's four in that one section alone. God bless you. And another over here. And up in the balcony, I see two hands on my left. Over here I see a hand, gentleman in the red shirt, another at the back wall back there, a gentleman. God bless you. Once I've seen them, you may put them down. Are there others you'd like to slip your hand up? I feel God talking to me. I sense his arrow in my soul. Yes, sir, on my right. Yes, sir, back here. God bless you. And back in the middle section, thank you. Right straight back. Praise God for these. Thank you, ma'am, right here, another God bless you on my left. What a wonderful thing it is. Thank you, sir, to the back wall to see people respond so quickly. Another back here in the middle section. Thank you. God is talking to you. Thank you, ma'am, right here at the front. God is talking to you. It's called conviction. It's the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to go off and hurt yourself and perhaps even have an eternal Failure will send you to hell without hope eternally. He convicts us. He draws us back. Anyone else like to be included in the prayer? Slip your hand up. Let me see it while we pray. I want to remember you. Another there, another back over there, another over here. God bless you. Another over here on my left. Another on my right, right here to the front and back to the back. Several on that side. And another on the aisle right here. God bless you. Several over on my left-hand side. God bless you. 
Another back there. Yes, two more in that back area. Praise God. Thank you right here. A couple more. Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit is working in such a wonderful way. May when I invite these friends to come to this altar to truly testify that they are forsaking their sin and their past, they'll have the courage to move out, bow their knee, publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ. Come to them now, I pray, in great power and in love and in forgiveness. May their sins be blotted out and may Jesus Christ be ever so real to them. Cleanse us all, Lord, from our imperfections and impurities. Wash us in the blood of Jesus today that we may glorify you every day we live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand together, please, throughout the auditorium.